Well, let me tell you, I'm, I'm really grateful that John would ask me. You know, I, I spend a lot of time with pastors. Um, a few years ago, the Lord said, uh, quit trying to be the young gun and be a big brother. And so probably this year, I've spent time with 80 different pastors in our city. And I got to tell you, and I'm not blowing smoke here, okay? Um, this guy is one of my absolute favorites. He really is. Um, I don't... I don't look. I mean, I don't look at. I mean, I don't look at caller ID every time that a pastor calls and go, "Oh yes." But when John calls, I'm like, "Yes," because John is a guy, and you're so blessed. And this is not just because he invites me hunting, okay? He invites me hunting though, and he's going to continue because now I'm saying it out loud. Um, but part of it um, is because um, he's. He, we are running. I'm getting this mic set up a little bit better here. Hold on one sec. You have to invest in that other double loop thing, man. Um, so, uh, but one of the things is John, I just feel like when I'm with John, I'm with a guy who's running the same direction that I'm running. Um, and, and we're not perfect, none of, none of us are, but I feel like, man, when I hear his voice on the end of the line, I know I'm going to be talking with someone who's in it with me. And, and I just got to tell you, you're blessed to have him. And I'm great buddies with Scott Hare, too. You know, he and I have spent a lot of time together this year over the phone and over Zoom. And Riverside's been blessed, and the enemy tried to shake things, you know, during the season. Um, but the enemy's not successful. In fact, the Bible says that the kingdom of God is going to advance in such a way that not even the gates of hell, and remember, gates don't advance, right? I've got a ranch out in Utopia that's been in my family for 130 years. We got fences and we got gates. And, and the kingdom, the Bible says the kingdom of God is going to advance, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. They will not be able to keep it out. And that is true for the people of Riverside. Okay? And I want you to know that our church, Crossbridge, is always going to be for your church, because in reality, there is just one church. And that's what we're doing. And more than any time I've ever seen in the 17 years that I've been in San Antonio, guys like John and me and a bunch of others are saying... Man, we got to come together. The Lord is doing something region-wide. And I want you to know your pastor, and therefore you all, are in the middle of it. I mean, you may feel like you're kind of tucked away out here in this beautiful little setting in the country, but your church and your pastor are actually in the middle, and in some respects leading in, in disciple-making and prayer in, way, in missions in the way that God is taking our city. You know, and, and you know, there was a small group of people I called the Mennonites, um, and their impact on, on the kingdom of God was far bigger than the number of people that actually gathered. And I just want to speak that over you, that your impact in the kingdom of God is greater than the number of people that gather on Sunday, okay? Because the, king, the, the spirit of the Lord is working through you. Um, and that's not even my sermon, okay? So, because you said I could go all the way to 11, right? Because that's when the... A couple of minutes before. So um, let's do this. I'm gonna, I want to talk to you about a, a, a parable that I know you're very familiar with, some of you, uh, the parable of the sower who sowed the seeds. But whenever I hear a parable or a passage of scripture that I've heard many, many times, like some of you are my age, so you may have seen even on a felt board, you know, the Sunday school teacher, you know, with the sower, and some of you don't know what a felt board is, and that's okay too. Um, 
But whenever I hear a passage of scripture that I've heard many times before, I open my hands and I surrender my understanding of it. Not like I toss my understanding out, but I surrender my understanding in case the Holy Spirit wants to reshuffle some things or highlight something that maybe I haven't seen before, something that's important for today. So let's pray and then we'll do that. Lord, we're giving you room. We just hold our metaphorical hands open and we say, would you speak, Holy Spirit, if you, wanted, if you wanted this in the Bible, there's a reason. There's a reason. Make the truth brand new and alive and powerful and effective in our lives this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is Mark chapter 4, okay? So you know the story. I'll summarize it, but you're going to need your Bibles today. So pop up, you know, boot them up or whatever we do these days with our Bibles. Turn them on. And, um, okay, so Jesus tells this parable of, of a sower who is sowing seeds. And so he throws some on the, the, the path, and the birds come and eat it up. He throws some among the rocky soil, or some of it falls among the rocky soil. And that's not what the sower wants. The sower wants it to, to fall on fertile soil, but some of it falls on rocky soil. And it springs up, but because it has no root, uh, the sun just, you know, kills it and dries it up. So it dies. Then some of the seed falls among the thorny soil, and it actually springs up because it says there are plants that come up, but they get choked by thorns, and so they bear no fruit. And then, of course, the last one, Jesus says, is there's this seed that falls among fertile soil, and on that soil, a harvest grew up that was 30, 60, even 100 times more the original seed that was sown. And then Jesus says, to him who has ears, let him hear. Like, end of sermon. Now, put yourself in the first century kind of place. You've heard this master teacher is coming to town. You know he does miracles. He turned water into wine. Sorry you missed that one. Um, and, and now he's, you've gathered around, and there's so many people there that he's gone out into a boat in the lake and, so that the people can take up all the available soil or you know, land, a shoreline. And he tells this story, and then he just stops. And then there was seed that fell on the fertile soil, and it grew a harvest that was huge. If you can hear, I hope you hear. I mean, like, if you were one of those people in the first century, don't you think you'd be, like, looking around like, wait, did I come late? Did, you, did he say something before he said that? Because what was the point of that? Some of them were probably looking at checking the sundial on their wrist going, whew, I need to go test drive a donkey or something, you know? And they went off somewhere. But there, there's, because there's no point to what he just said. I mean, like, what's the payoff, great, wonderful teacher? There, you know, he's just describing what happens with seed. Okay, but then, here's what's really cool, I think. In verse 9, Jesus says, whoever has ears, let him hear. And then, it says, when Jesus was alone, so clearly came back to shore, the crowd is dispersed, Jesus has gone to wherever Jesus has gone. When he was alone, verse 10, the 12, you would expect this, the 12 came around him. But there was some other people. It says, the 12 and some others came around him and asked him about the parable. Because you would expect the 12, but there were others that came. And Jesus said to the 12 and to the others, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Okay, that... That is true right now. 
when, when we come to the Lord, I mean, to, to be those who heard about the parable of the soils and the seed and didn't walk away, um, who, some of those people didn't check their sundials and run off to test by, drive the donkey. Some of them were like, wait, there's something here. There's, I don't know what it is, but there is something here. And so they came to Jesus with the 12. And that takes humility. Like, I know the problem is not you, Jesus. The problem is me. You're, I know there's some truth in there. You wouldn't have said it if there weren't. But I'm missing it, and I want to know it. I'm desperate. And so I'm coming and confessing, the answer is not in me. Will you share it with me? And you know what James says? James says in James chapter 4, verse 6, that he gives more grace to the humble. Now, grace is God coming down in the form of man, a bearing, living a sinless life, and not, instead of destroying his enemies, reconciling his enemies to himself, taking their sin upon him, dying on the cross, bearing the weight of their guilt and sin, and then rising again, proving his power on Easter Sunday. That's what grace is. And then James says, he'll even give you more grace than that. If you will come in humility, and that's what these 12 and the others do. They come in humility. And whenever we do, we can expect Jesus to reveal the secrets of the kingdom. Sometimes the thing that gets in the way of humility is pride and outright arrogance. Sometimes it's busyness. Sometimes it's just not taking the time. Um, but these guys take time. They come, they ask, and so they're rewarded. Hebrews, you know this. He earnestly rewards those, he, he rewards those who earnestly what? Seek him. That's right. This is another expression of it. So he says to them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. And then he says, verse 11, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing, he's quoting Isaiah 9, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. I don't know about you, but that verse I always put on a shelf. Because I was like, that does not make sense. He's like, I'm talking in parables. This is how I envision, okay? This is how I envision it. Jesus says, I teach in parables so that they'll be seeing but not perceiving. Hearing but not understanding. <laughs> I have the little... <laughs> like He's like, like evil Jesus. Not the case though, right? And, but I put that up on the shelf because I was like... What, what is that? Is he happy? No, you need to understand. I imagine, if, and this is so, such a good sort of uh, interpretive principle. It's not the only one, but it's a good one. Picture yourself in a robe and sandals or whatever, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And he's just told this parable. You know Jesus. You know he heals people. You know he takes in the humble. You know he, he blesses the hurting. And so Jesus says, to you, the secret of the kingdom has been given. And then he quotes this prophecy from like 750 years before. And he says, like he's now saying, that prophecy is coming true today. And I imagine that Jesus' eyes were welling up with tears. Jesus takes zero joy. I mean, the whole purpose of the incarnation, the whole purpose, Second Peter, is that God is patient with people. He wants no one to perish. So when he says, they, this is, you're, in, you're living in the fulfillment of prophecy, guys. I'm teaching in parables. And you're, hearing, you're watching what's happening. People are seeing, but they're not actually perceiving. They're hearing, but they're not understanding. Oh, because if they did, 
If they did, they could turn and be saved and forgiven. He's saying that about the crowd that checked their sundial and Tesla drove the donkey. But, but to these people that have gathered, he, they now have that chance. You see, the parables were like a filter. And he was like, I'm going to tell you this. And if something stirs in your heart, the Holy Spirit was moving even in those days, of course. If the Holy Spirit moves your heart, you could come and you could ask more and he would unveil the secrets of the kingdom. But Jesus, I believe his heart is breaking in verse 12. There's zero joy in him. And so then he says, don't you understand this parable? And he begins to explain it to them. And he explains to them that the seed, the, the seed is actually the word, the truth, the eternal unchanging expression of the will of God. And he says sometimes when that goes out, it hits on soil and just bounces off people. Yesterday, a group of Crossbridgers and I were in the Echo apartment complex on Judson uh, O'Connor Road. Um, and we were just knocking on doors, telling people, hey, we're with an apartment care team, and we are just here to pray for people today. We're going to knock on every door and see if we can pray for them. And sometimes we would pray. Sometimes people would not open the doors. Sometimes they'd talk through the window. Sometimes they would open the door and talk with us, and we would pray for them. And sometimes we got to share the gospel with them. And sometimes that seed, you could just tell, it just seemed like it was bouncing off. Sorry. I'm sorry. It was just bouncing off them, like seed on a path. Jesus said that's what the seed sometimes does. Other times, it falls among rocky soil, and it springs up initially. Like there's some enthusiasm about it, but there's, there's no teaching. There's no depth there, and so it... It, it never takes root. And when persecution or the real decision of, am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to follow my flesh? When those come head to head, they give up and they, they just, uh, okay, no, I'm, I'm going to go the way I want to go. He says, that's what happens to the seed. Okay. But then the last two, one is the thorns. He says it falls among the thorns and he describes the thorns. He says, the thorns are the, are the, is the deceitfulness of wealth, the worries of this life, and the desire for other things. I mean, he could not be more relevant. That phrase could not be more relevant than it is to us. He says that gets in the way of receiving the kingdom, of living a life that in the following verse, verse 20, he says there's that other soil that the seed falls upon, and that soil is fertile. It receives the word, and it and, and, and gives the, the word room to do, gives the seed room to do what seeds do, which is to grow and expand and push out the dirt and expand all the way through the dirt with its roots and push through the outward expression of that dirt to reveal the life that is in that seed. And what Jesus is describing is two ways to live, really. And really, he's describing two kingdoms. There is a kingdom of the world that desires to live and is wrapped up in living and consumed by the busyness of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. But that's not us. That's not you. Okay? You're the seed. You're the soil that produces, has the potential to produce a harvest that is 30 or 60 or 100 times more than what was originally sown. And never more than in 2020 have I seen the, the distinction between these two kingdoms. 
the vitriol and, and anger and division of the election and the fear and the worry and the anxiety that comes with the pandemic, there are people that are consumed by all of that. And trust me, I'm up on the news. I'm all into politics, but I'm telling you this. The world is consumed with that, okay? But not the people of God. Because the people of God, Matthew 6, we are seeking his kingdom first. Do I care about the presidency or do I care not so much about the person, but the platform and the policies and the party that's going to be running our nation? Absolutely, I care about that. But my number one care is to say, oh God, I am crucified with you now. My desires, my preferences, like Pastor John said, I lay those down, Lord, and I'm saying, what, what are you doing in your kingdom? Because he's told us in Ephesians 1, 9, and 10, he loves you so much that he is determined to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under his authority. He's going to bring it. I mean, when we talk, oh, that dude brought it. Listen, Jesus is going to bring it like no man at a pulpit has ever brung it before. Okay, he's going to bring his kingdom and it is going to reign. Habakkuk 2, 11 says that the, the glory, the, I'm sorry, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. When the water covers the sea, it's in, up, down and around and saturates it and soaks it. And he says, yeah, that the kingdom is going to come with that kind of fullness. And right now, I, instead of being overwhelmed with all of the kingdom aspects over here, the, key, the people of God, we say, no, Lord, I'm seeking your kingdom. What is the right thing, the righteousness that you want to see accomplished? I'm going to trust you with everything else. And he says he'll deliver on those things. But I'm asking you, Lord, help me seek your kingdom and your righteousness first. There are two different kingdoms. And I've, I'll tell you, one of the things about this, not only are these kingdoms distinct, but I've seen Christians struggle more this year than ever before because of the intensity of the election and the pandemic, racial unrest and the hijacking of some of the uh, racial justice issues by anarchists and crazy people too. I'm separating those. Um, and I've seen Christians that have, that have drifted towards this kingdom over here. Um, and it's tempting because the fear of what's going to happen, that can be consuming. Wondering what's going to, if your 401k is going to turn into a 201k can be concerning to you. I get that. I get that. But Philippians 3.20 says that we, we are citizens of a different kingdom. Our citizenship is in heaven. And what are we eagerly awaiting for? Are we eagerly waiting for Georgia to certify their election so we can know exactly for sure who's president and know whether we're going to be happy or sad? No, we eagerly wait a savior from heaven. And let me tell you something about this kingdom. This kingdom is not a hunkering down, create, isolate ourselves and create a heavenly lean-to, this side of heaven, so that we can feel some of the fellowship and the joy and the peace, you know, while the rest of the world rages. No, this kingdom, the purpose of this kingdom is actually to invade this kingdom. That's what it's for. This kingdom invades this kingdom like light invades darkness. That's, that's what God's... That's what God's purpose, the mission of this kingdom is to invade and to rescue people from this kingdom. Now, let me tell you, one of the reasons that I go and either we do dramas in the park and invite people to come to see the drama or we go door to door, which is not my favorite thing to do at all. I mean, I'm like, okay, they think I'm a Jehovah's Witness, okay? 
Um, but I knock on their door anyway, and I say, I'm with an apartment care team, and we are just blessing people by praying for them today. Because it, not only does the kingdom of God, we had 10 people put their trust in Jesus yesterday. There were probably 50 of us that went out. Um, and, but I'll tell you this. If I'm not around those people, sometimes being a pastor, being a Christian, I can hang out with nothing but Christians. And that's like an army that never deploys. And we're in the midst of a battle. And when, I'm, when I do say, okay, I'm going to go take my Saturday and I'm going to knock on those doors and I'm going to feel the same anxiety that everybody else feels about doing that. But I see the brokenness of people's lives. I, 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 the kingdom of God invades that apartment complex. And I, I see, and I won't, say, I won't say names, but I see the brokenness of people. And it reminds me, oh how God's heart must break for them. And let me tell you what God has said about you as his people in this kingdom. And still I'm talking about you can live, how you live a life that bears a harvest of 30, 60, or 100 times over. In John 15, 16, Jesus said this to his disciples. I chose you. I think I've got that scripture, don't I? Super. I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Now, I get that he's saying this to the 12 disciples. I think even then Judas was still with him at the time. But the reason it's in the Bible is because it's for you. It's for you. You have been chosen. You're chosen. You're the ones, you're the ones like in, in the parable of the sower, you're the ones who are, who are pressed in a little closer to Jesus. You're doing that right now. You've pressed in. Hey, we want to know more. On Sunday morning, though, there's a million things you could be doing and a million golf courses where you could be doing it. You are here or you're online, which is another way of being here right now. And God is saying, I've chosen you. But he did more than just choose you. He appointed you. You know, whoever's president, obviously it looks like it's going to be Biden. So Biden's going to appoint people. To, to represent the United States. And he's going to come to people that he feels like are capable and that will speak, they're on the same wavelength with him. Every president does this. And he's going to say, I'm appointing you to speak on behalf of me with the full backing of all the resources of the United States to represent us in Germany, Italy, China, Russia, the UK, wherever. He's going to appoint that person with great responsibility and authority. That's what Jesus has done with you. That's what Jesus has done with us. He says, I chose you. You're the good soil. Or you can be. And I've appointed you to go. That phrase to go is the same phrase he uses in Matthew 28 after he is raised from the dead and he's with his disciples for the last time. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've told you. And don't forget, I will be with you till the end of the age. And when the end of the age happens, it's the age of what? It's the age of sin. When the, until the end of the age of sin, when, in, at which time I will create 
the, uh, Revelation 11, 9 says, all the, 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 the kingdoms of this earth will become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior. He goes, I'm, up, I'm with you through the end of the age of sin to the inauguration of my kingdom that will last forever when I redeem the earth. And so you, you're to go. You're to take this kingdom and invade this kingdom, not by yourself, but with me. I'm with you to the end of the age. And when you go, I'm telling you, he says in verse 16, you will bear fruit. The 30, 60, 90 thing that he's talked about in the parable, he's saying it again, you're going to bear fruit. And then he specifies it's fruit that lasts. Let me tell you, Jesus has a a penchant for understatement. Like, like God creates all of creation, right? Genesis 1. Heavens and the earth, the stars, the sky. Uh, there, are, you know, there are stars that are a million times larger than, than the earth. And there are stars that are a quadrillion times greater than those stars. And yet those stars that are a quadrillion times bigger than, the, than our sun are actually so far away in this universe that is so ginormous that we can't even see their light from the earth. The expanse of what God has created is so massive and it works with these mind-boggling statistics that, I mean, uh, the numbers and principles of physics that he maintains. Colossians 1 and 2 says, not only does he, did he create it, but it's for him and he sustains it. He holds it all together. And when he creates all of that in Genesis, he says, it is Good. Good. I'm like, that's how I describe the restaurant I'm going to eat at after this. Good is what I say when I go to a movie, and I think, yeah, that was pretty good. I use the word good like that, and God uses it when he creates all of that. He, he, he understates things. Like he, Jesus said, um, in this world you will have trouble. I mean, every bit of cancer, every bit of, every bit of heartache, Every bit of pandemic, every bit of whatever we... All of that falls under this one simple word, trouble. The reason I say that is because Jesus says here, you're going to go and bear fruit. And then he makes a point to say, it is fruit that will last. Okay, what that means is this. When he says, hey, this fruit's going to last. He's not talking about, oh, it's going to last for a week. He's not talking about, hey, it's going to be good for a month. You know, when Jesus said you're going to bear fruit the last, he means you're going to bear fruit that will last. That's what he's talking about. Fruit that will last forever. What he's saying to you is that when you, when we live for his kingdom, when we make his kingdom ways, our ways, when we seek Lord, not what the right thing that what feels right, but what is right in your eyes. And we say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say no to my flesh. I'm going to say no to what I want to do. And I'm going to say yes to you. He says every, every unseen act of obedience, every sacrifice, every time you remained faithful when faithlessness was calling and pulling on you, every time you've forgiven, every time you've asked for forgiveness, every time you've been patient or kind or tried to, every time you've done something simply because you genuinely love him, it bears fruit. And he says it's fruit that will last. Which means it's never going to diminish in his eyes. His, his appreciation, the value that he places on it, will never dim. His joy, his celebration. I'm telling you, what you're going through right now matters and counts. 
Every time, every time, whatever you're going through, you're saying no, no to that kingdom and yes to this kingdom. He's like, yes, that's my girl. That's my boy. And it matters and he's not going to forget it. And he's going to celebrate it through eternity for you and with you because he's appointed us to go and to bear fruit Fruit that will last. That's what you've been appointed for, meaning given, designated, and given the power and the, uh, and, the, and the empowerment for. But he also says this, and this is, I think, a secret, one of the secrets. This is, John needs to have me back five or six times because this is a long series here. Um, okay, can I do that? Thank you. Here we go. Back on. Woo! All right. So he says, here's, the, here's part of the secret of living a life that bears fruit that lasts. He says this, I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. That's part of the secret of the kingdom right there. But that's a verse I put on the shelf most of my life. I'm like, what in the world does that mean? Is it just, surely he doesn't mean pray and close your prayers with a certain few words like in Jesus' name, amen. Right? Because if that were the secret, I'd have had a whole lot more prayers come true. All right? But he said, there's something here. And so whatever you ask in the, my name, the Father will give you. So I, I could never understand that, so I just put it on a shelf. Instead, what I wish I had done was press in and say, wait a second. There's something here. Jesus wouldn't have said it if this were not true. I've got to figure this out. There's not a word in the Bible that's in there by mistake. So what is he talking about? You know, John, who records that Jesus said this, this is written out of the autobiography that, or the biography that Jesus, John writes of Jesus' life. John explains a little bit more about his understanding of what Jesus meant in 1 John 5.14 when he says this. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. You know how if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Are you familiar with that kind of principle? You can just nod. It is true. So you can receive it. Well, he's just said in, verse, in, in John chapter 15, he said, you can ask anything in my name and it will be done for you. And then in John, in, uh, in 1 John 5, he says, if you ask anything in my will, then I, God hears you. And if he hears you in some way that he hears, that he will give you what you ask for. So praying in his name is the same thing as praying in his will. Now, this was just a little epiphany for me. I was like, okay, well, wait, I think I've got a, I think I've got a, a little bit of illumination here. What does it mean then? This is me taking it off the shelf. If I'm going to take this off the shelf, I've got to understand. What does it mean to pray in your name? And John is saying here, it means to pray in his will. Now, that sounds a little bit circular, right? If he, God's going to do whatever, you know, God's God, right? He can do what he wants to do. And so if, he, so if I pray in his will, isn't he just going to do what he's going to do anyway? What's the purpose of that? That is a purely Western way of thinking, purely American way of thinking. We're talking about just getting stuff done. What's the most efficient way to get stuff done? And if God already knows it and God's got all the power, he'll just get it done himself. Except for the fact that the thing 
the thing that God wants to get done primarily and the means by which he wants to get everything else done is with us. That's why Jesus said, you know what? Um, me, me doing things with you is so important. I'm going to tell you my name is I'm with you. Emmanuel. He's with us. The first most important thing that God wants to accomplish is the reunion of relationship between people and himself. And when that reunion takes place, everything else God wants to get done comes through that reunion. So the priority of prayer is first to experience him, to know his heart. Like I would take, I have three daughters, they're now grown, but when they were little, I would take them to Home Depot or, and we would get out in the yard and do some work and I would give them some tool to do something with. And they weren't usually all that effective with it when they were little. Um, and sometimes they would make a mess that I had to clean up, but they were doing it with me. My number one goal was for them to do things with their daddy. And then everything else would come out of that. And that's what God wants. The reason I'm telling you this is because you have been appointed to go and bear fruit that will last. And part of it comes by asking for things in the name of Jesus, which we know now has to do with praying within the will of God. And there's meaning and purpose in that because his ultimate will is for you to be in a closer, deeper, ongoing relationship with him. And then the biggest epiphany for me, because, you know, the, the big, the operative word, the operative phrase here is in his will. How do I pray in his will? And it dawned on me, everything in the Bible, the Bible is what? It's the word of God, which means it is the expression of the will of God. And if that's the case, then in reality, what the Bible is for me is a prayer guide. The entire thing. I mean, it's filled with actual prayers and promises and prophecies and praise. And, and all of those, are, are they're in this Bible. If you ask yourself, if you read anything in the Bible, you might ask yourself, I wonder why God wanted that in there for all people for all time. It's a good, it's a good way to pull something out of it. And these prayers and promises and praise and prophecies, the reason they're in there is to show us that this is God's will. Pray that way. This is how the people of God pray. This is how you relate to God. This is what is on God's heart. Pray in that direction. And when we do that, in essence, what I'm saying is when we pray scripture, everything changes. I mean, we all know, at least at one level, that prayer is really, really important. We always pray before meals, at bedtime, in church. The pastor is always talking about it. And yet, it is often the, the weakest part of our relationship with Jesus. Which is crazy, because if you think about it, every meaningful relationship we have with people is based upon communication. I married my wife, Debbie, she's, because she's beautiful, that's part of it. But because I, mean, I, I love to talk with her. I love the way that we communicate with one another. And we've been doing that since fourth and fifth grade. And so I've known her for a really long time. And I, I enjoy and communicate and feel close to her more than anybody else. And there's no relationship that I willingly choose to be in in which that is not the case. I'm in re Now, there's some people I got to tolerate, okay? None but nobody here. Um, they're just a little south of here. No, I'm teasing. Um, now, there's some people in all of our lives that we have to tolerate, right? But the people, if we have a, an option 
an optional relationship and we're in it, it's because we enjoy being with them. We, we enjoy communicating with them. And so for me to be in a relationship with Jesus, but not to communicate with him or to not enjoy communicating with him, something is wrong. And it doesn't necessarily mean, I wish somebody had taught me this decades ago. I realized it's not really, it was more about my understanding more than it was like, gosh, you're just lazy and, and lack discipline. Because, you know, it doesn't take discipline for me to talk to Debbie. I want to talk to Debbie. Why don't I want to talk to God? I, don't, I talk to Debbie because I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get wise counsel and insight. I know I'm going to talk to someone who cares. I talk to Debbie because I enjoy talking to her. And I find that I'm really good at things that I enjoy. Like, I'm really good at eating chips and salsa because I enjoy it. And prayer, I think, was designed to be enjoyable. And it's important because it is the key, John says in John 15 and 16, to bearing fruit that lasts, which Jesus referred to in Mark 4 as a, the basis of a harvest that bears fruit 30, 60, 100 times over. And so he, let me tell you, just to, we're going to do something together, okay? We're going to pray. I want to show you what praying scripture looks like. There's maybe six or seven other big points, but one of them is learning to pray the will of God. When that happens, you will feel the Holy Spirit stirring something in you differently than when you've prayed before. When you pray the will of God, praying scripture and agreeing with him, you're going to feel power and, and, and know in your in your knower that God is actually moving and these prayers make, make, are, are having an effect. You're also, you're also going to feel the Holy Spirit affirming you saying, yes, yes. And when you feel all of that, the power and the affirmation and the enjoyment of prayer, you're going to do it more. You're going to do it more. Here's three quick steps. When I pray scripture, the first thing I do is I agree with it. I say, yes, Lord. This is the truth, and I declare that in so many different words. Secondly, I will declare the truth of that scripture over my own life. I'll, I'll appropriate it for myself and say, yes, this is true for me. Yes, God, I am, I am, I am in this camp. I am not in that camp, Lord. Uh, there is no condemnation, and that in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1. That applies to me, God. I'm declaring it for myself with the authority you give me. The third thing I'll do is I'll ask the Holy Spirit for more of it. Oh God, I want, I know there's no condemnation, but oh, I hate how I wrestle with those feelings of guilt and of past sin, of the lies that the enemy places on me. Lord, Holy Spirit, would you stir up in me so that the, the, the freedom from condemnation um, reigns in my heart more than the lies and the wounds and the hurts from the past. So I agree with prayer. I agree with scripture. I declare it over my life. And I ask the Holy Spirit for more of it. So here's what I want to do. I want to take the next uh, four, four or five minutes that we've got. Go back to Mark 4, verse 20 on the screen for me. This is the first verse we, we're talking about. The parable of the soil. Jesus says this. Like seed sown on the good soil. Hear the word. Accept it. And it produces a crop. Some 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. I want us to pray that. So what... I'm gonna, we're going to pray in three different little steps by asking and declaring, and then, I'm sorry, by agreeing, by declaring, and asking for more. I'm going to pray just a phrase or two just to model it for you, and then I want you to, to 
close your eyes and to just do your own version of agreeing with that. Make sense? We'll pray just a little bit of tiny music in the background so there's not this awkward silence. But if you'll go with me here, if you'll go with the Holy Spirit here, you will feel power. You will know that something is different than how you've prayed in the past if this is new to you. So let's just begin. Lord, I believe. I'm just agreeing. Lord, I agree that, that there is seed, that you're sowing seed. Lord, and, and, that, and that people can be any kinds of soil. But Lord, your desire is that they produce, that they be good soil. You're not wanting them to, to be the hard soil. You want them to be the good soil, Lord Jesus, so that they might bear a meaningful harvest of fruit that lasts, that's 30, 60, 100 times over. Lord, I agree. That is true about you. Would you do now, sweet people, your own version of agreeing with the truth of that word? Maybe pause and just see if the Holy Spirit stirs another thought about of, of a way that he wants you to agree with that. Now let's move to declaring, Lord, this truth that I've just agreed with that describes your heart and, and your intention. Lord, I say it applies to me. I am good soil. I am going to receive your truth, God. I'm saying no to the, 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 uh, the desire for other things, the deceitfulness of wealth, God, the, the worries of this life. I'm saying no, and I'm saying, Lord, I am good soil. I want your truth to come in me and to spread its roots through every part of me. This verse, Lord, I claim as, as a promise for me, Lord. I want, I'm telling you, Lord, my intention is to bear is to bear fruit that has a multiplicative harvest, God. I don't want to live for these other things. I want to live solely for you. And I declare that now. Do that for yourself. Spirit, can I have more? Would you make me even better soil? Lord, would you, would you weed the garden of my life? Would you pull out anything that is taking up space that you would otherwise fill with your harvest? Give him permission. Give him permission to weed your garden right now. Lord, make my heart more receptive to you. Make me more, re, more 
um, sensitive to the whispers of your will and your voice, God. Stir up in me, whether it's through accountability with other men or women or the knowledge of the word of God, the power of the spirit, Lord, stir up within me an, an ability to resist sin, God. I don't want, I don't want to be soil that's fertile over here and rocky and thorny over here. I'm giving you permission to, to, to run the whole garden. Could you, I don't want to be 30 times God. I don't want to be 60 times. I want to be a hundred times. Everything you've dreamed, Everything you dreamed when you made me from dust and knit me together in my mother's womb and all those things you said, even before the creation of the world, Ephesians 1 says, Lord, would you dream every dream you've dreamt, would you dream it through me, through the fulfillment, God? I don't want to have a, 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 a medium level success with you. I want all of your dreams to come true through me. Everything you thought of when you thought of knitting me together, let it be, God. Let it be. Ask him for more. Ask him for more. Lord, I know you, I know you honor every attempt at prayer. Even weak prayers are still prayed to a very strong God. If you, if you were asking, if you were declaring, if you were agreeing, even halfway, Jesus is generous. He's drawing you closer, saying, yes, my daughter, yes, my son. Doesn't that kind of praying feel different? And the whole Bible, it's not a book just of information. It's a book of a living conversation that that God wants to have with you. Lord, teach us. Teach us to enjoy prayer. Teach us to pray with power. We want to be those that pray in accordance with your will. Change our will to be in alignment with yours. That's what we're asking. We want to be people of the harvest. People of the harvest. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. John is going to, Pastor John is going to send you a, um, a sheet through whatever way that y'all get things out, a, a PDF of a, a sheet that we use at, at our fellowship on how to pray different kinds of scripture. And I'm telling you, it is your first step and your last step and every step in between to living a life of harvest in the Lord. All right. Let's stand together. We're, David's going to lead us in another course of celebrating the Lord. And just commit your life to that harvest as you sing.